I do as I choose, and I answer to no one. Turn and run now, and I will mercifully pretend this never happened. Death shall be your reward. To face doom is to face one's end. Hello, hello. Greetings from Latveria. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Dr. Doomcast returns, brought to you this week by the Yancey Pizza Palace. <laughs> your two-for-one Pizza Palace special if you mention our podcast. If you can find the Yancey Pizza Palace first, that's an achievement. But if you do and you mention us, you're going to have a very surprised uh, pizza purveyor, first of all. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they may honor this promotion that we're offering. Who knows? But you tell us. Uh, Probably not. Probably not. There's a reason that the thing was always upset with the Yancey Street people and that, you know, they're, they're not known for being, uh, trustworthy perhaps, but maybe in the, maybe in the pizza realm they are. We're not sure yet. <laughs> well, seeing as how that would be in New York, I would imagine they would make, make some, uh, pretty mean. Yeah. Isn't New York renowned for its pizza? That's what I was thinking. Like you always hear like New York and Chicago are supposed to be like the best for pizza or something like that. I don't know. I've never been to either New York or Chicago, but <laughs> that's what I always hear. Well, New York is the thin style, and Chicago is the deep dish. Uh, I, I prefer the thin. Uh, then there's also See, the, I'm the opposite. I would prefer deep dish. Well, I like deep dish when it's like a baby pan pan, like a Little Caesars deep dish, which is a Detroit style pizza for all you pizza aficionados who listen to the Duke yes. cast. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll just thumb my nose at New York and Chicago. Detroit pizza is where it's at. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any complaints. this is fascinating stuff uh (laughs) for the listeners who want to hear about dr doom and they're like this is i thought this was a doom podcast these guys just talk about pizza now everyone listening is a hankering for pizza (laughs) (laughs) we'll have record people like turning off to go uh to go order little caesars (laughs) bill and craig back with you for the doom gas going through the media world of Doctor Doom, the greatest of Marvel supervillains, I would say the greatest of all comic book villains. Today we have an unusual story, which we we had an unusual story last time, and we're continuing with another (laughs) unusual story with uh, where Doom Doom, uh, encounters Luke Cage. And maybe do we want to start with, I don't know how we want to start this one, because this is a little odd, but um, do we want to start um, with any Luke Cage background or just a brief summary of like where we're at? Like this is a different art team, perhaps. This is a, a bit of a different kind of hero. Yeah, we're definitely going to be seeing some new names in the creative staff. And um, I did look up a few things about them. So when we start this proper, I'll, I'll give them a quick once over here. But um we should probably start by saying that understand that this story was written and published before Craig and I were born. So <laughs> we're going back to January, February of 1973. So if you feel this story at all doesn't, uh, it doesn't work for you because of your modern day sensibilities, it's not on me and Craig. <laughs> we didn't write this. <laughs> Although it is a far better story than the Submariner one from the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's definitely more, more coherent than the Submariner story. <laughs> it, uh, it's another one of these stories where Doom is sort of the cameo. 
I, I think it's fair to say. I mean, he, he gets into it more, I think, in the in the part, the second part of this. But yes. we start with Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number eight, which is entitled Crescendo. It, the cover has Luke Cage fighting with some robots. It's called out on the cover that there's a surprise supervillain lurking in these pages. It says, wait till you find out who. But we do see someone on the cover in a green hood. <laughs> over the shoulder that looks a lot like Dr. Doom. I'm pretty sure that, you know, if you have any comic book knowledge at this point, you can figure out. You would know it's villain. him. Yeah, you know who the villain is. <laughs> Plus, if you notice on the cover, there is a lot of green on it. You know, green, of course, is Dr. Doom's uh, color of choice, we'll say. Mm-hmm. The robots are all dressed in green, and the banner across the top is in green. From what you see of Doom over the shoulder, like you said, he's, you know, wearing his green hood and his cape. So it's, it's really obvious it's Dr. Doom. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't surprised. And I don't think, I don't think the readers would be, but, um, it starts right away with, I mean, do we want to talk a little bit about the art team before we get into the oh, plot here? Yeah, yeah. Let me just, uh, say, uh, here that, um, the penciler of the story is George Tuska, and we've already come across him a couple of times, like in the uh, Doctor Doom stories in Astonishing Tales. He's like from the Golden Age, so he would have been like probably nearing the end of his career at this point. But the uh, writer and the inker are both new to us on the podcast here. Um, the writer is Steve Englehart. This would have been at the start of his writing career. He was a longtime writer of the Avengers and the Defenders, which would have been right around this same time, if memory serves. He, I know, had gone to college and majored in psychology, so a lot of his stories, not necessarily these two issues, but <laughs> a lot of his later stories delve a lot uh, in the psychology behind different characters and whatnot. Uh, Billy Graham is the inker, and he was one of Marvel's first black creators he worked at warren what is it warren publications before marvel and they were basically uh one of the comic companies that were around at the time but they've since you know shut shuttered their doors but uh he was brought on there as uh an assistant and he would do artwork and different stories that were in their comics and magazines and then he got promoted to the art director for the company from what I was reading, he liked that because it was, uh, he had an office. It was a steady job. He got a check every Friday. So, you know, he was working in New York City. So he was, uh, really fond of that. Eventually, though, he did leave and he started working for Marvel as a freelancer. And then, um, Luke Cage here was one of, I think actually it was his first job. Um, I know he worked on the Black Panther somewhere around the same time as this. But uh, he was not only just the inker on these, but he was also co-plotting with Steve Englehart. So I guess the two of them would come up with the plots and kind of hash stuff out. And then uh, Englehart would send a synopsis to the penciler, and the penciler would change um, every so often. But right now we're on George Tuska. And then um, it would go to Billy Graham to finish everything by inking it. It's just cool that, that Marvel managed to get him especially someone of his caliber since he was working as an art director for another company. You know, he gets to uh, put his stamp on things. 
apparently he was even like a, a part-time actor and he was in some commercials and he uh, won awards for, uh, uh, what did it say here? His set design work for plays and stuff like that. So like he really did a lot in, in his working career. I, I never even knew half the stuff about Billy Graham. It's just cool to see two new names pop up here and me being a big Avengers guy. You know, Steve Englehart, like, is a name I recognize right away. With all that said, I guess we should start on our story here. Well, <laughs> uh, it starts with Luke Cage kind of throwing a tantrum for the first, and he's talking about how he thought, you know, as a hero for hire, he'd be higher up on the food chain, but he still has issues, like people trying to kill him. The first few pages are really this sort of him kind of venting, letting the audience know, like, this is what I've been through, and I thought this was going to be a different kind of deal. So, I mean, as we try to do on these, we, we try to focus on the doctor. So I don't know how much we need to get into the Luke Cage backstory, but the first couple pages are just him sort of, like, in this very, um, how do I want to say this, 70s vernacular. <laughs> He's got his own sort of dialogue cadence here. Uh, and it's just him kind of going through and saying, like, uh, you know, he thought this was going to be a, a better gig. They, the hero for hire gets called out a lot, like it's, like it's an official title. Yeah, Luke Cage at this time, uh, actually through the whole first part of his history, once he got his powers, he decided basically he would go the A team route. If you needed some help with something, you could go hire him, and then he could be your bodyguard, your enforcer. I mean, he always stayed on, like, the good side, though. He wasn't, like, going out breaking someone's legs or anything. But, you know, if you had someone trying to shake you down, you could hire him and he'd come in and then that would start making everyone think twice about hassling you, you know, kind of thing. But usually it would end up like the person couldn't pay him at the end or, I don't know, the money would end up, like, burning in a fire or something like that. <laughs> so he's always, like, down on his luck or he didn't make as much as he – you know, should have made kind of thing. You know, it's just kind of that that Marvel Comics uh, kind of Spider-Man, Peter Parker is always needing money type thing. In reality, if someone was like a superhero and they were for hire, they would probably be rolling in it. <laughs> well, this it's interesting because the money will come up in different ways throughout these two issues. But like I said, he's going on kind of complaining. He, he gets there's a blonde guy who comes to see him who I wasn't really sure who that guy was. Uh, he looks like I think in... he was just a regular, like a uh, supporting character in the comic. So, like, if you read the series regular, you would know who he was. They didn't call out anything about him. He looks like he would have been in a 70s rock band. He looked like somebody <laughs> like who would have been in Foghat or Leonard Skinner or something. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't think just, of that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> he's just like, hey, you know, Luke Cage, I got this guy here to see you. And Luke Cage isn't particularly happy to see who this guy and the guy he brings looks like he's a 1920s gangster or something. Um, I guess it's supposed to insinuate that he's seedy. I don't know, but he, he, he definitely looks like something out of like a Jimmy Cagney movie or something. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> he, offers, he offers Luke Cage a job. And see, this is the first instance. Luke Cage is like not interested in the money. So I don't know if he's just sees this guy and knows he's no good or he's he's been burned recently. So he's like, oh, I'm not interested. But while this is going on, he Luke Cage sees somebody he recognizes one of his assail, assailants like from his prior narration he was talking about like how he was attacked and things 
And so he got le- splits the scene and starts chasing this guy uh, down and well, eventually catches up to him. And they have this fight over a few pages. While this is happening, an old woman, maybe of European descent, yells out the window to complain about the noise. And Luke Cage, I guess as a superhero would, takes the time to apologize, letting his letting this guy get away. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure about this scene. This seemed a little, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know exactly why why we needed this in here. This was a little strange to me. Well, um, I did look up some of the words she was saying, thanks yes. to our friends at Google. And, treading, um, treading carefully. Yes. She was basically Jewish from because, like, the words she was saying were Jewish, I guess. Yeah, Yiddish, I guess. She was being complimentary in what she was saying about Luke Cage. <laughs> but we would not think it was nice what she was saying nowadays. Let's just put it that way. Right. I don't know that we need to labor on it, but it was, she meant well, but it it was. Her heart was in the right place. (laughs) So this allows the guy that Luke Cage is is, uh, chasing to escape. He stops off at a local clinic and he, he asks the doctor, there's a doctor there. And rather than ask her, I mean, I don't know the extent of his powers. He doesn't seem very hurt. But rather than ask this doctor to, like, take a look at him, he basically asked her to fix his ripped shirt. <laughs> yeah, Luke Cage has uh, unbreakable skin. And ah. so when this guy knifed him, you know, physically he was fine. That's not going to do anything to him. But he did go there. This is um, Claire Temple, who is uh, on the Netflix Marvel shows, Daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Jessica Jones. She's played by um, Rosario Dawson. So oh, okay. for those who watch the Netflix shows, you know who I'm talking about. Now, so yeah, so she's sewing his, his shirt or tunic, whatever you want to call it, sewing it up for him while they're talking. And then, uh, while well, they kiss. And then it fades mm-hmm. out. Cage makes his way back to his office where the, the weird European CD guy is still out there waiting for him. <laughs> he just stuck around waiting for him this whole time. <laughs> and well, there's a lot said, to do in uh, Marvel's New York. He's probably watching like Spider-Man web swing by or something, you know. That's true. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening in, in the, at that time in New York in the Marvel universe. But he offers. He's he's like, all right, I'll try this again. He offers Luke Cage two hundred dollars a day to find four missing men. Uh, he's acting on behalf of a rich, nameless benefactor, which you know is is I don't know. Has that ever really worked out well? If someone comes up to you and says, I'd like to hire you for this job, uh, I'm representing a rich, nameless benefactor who doesn't want to be named. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like any time that's happened to me, it hadn't ended, it ended well. And it certainly is not, you know, in the comics. Yeah, usually when someone doesn't want to be known, uh, that's probably not a, a, a good thing. <laughs> There's a reason why they don't want to be known. <laughs> I guess my th- my thinking was at two hundred dollars a day. Now this is nineteen early nineteen seventies. This is two hundred dollars went a lot further than it does today, but it still seems kind of penny ante. So you're thinking, not well, really. I, I just looked it up on the inflation calculator. It comes uh, out to nowadays it'd be one thousand two hundred forty five dollars and eighty eight cents. Oh well, that changes things. I mean, <laughs> so, it's, it's twelve hundred right. bucks a day. That's that's good money. <laughs> right. Like you, you and I have always lived in a world where, you know, I think we were born after money, American money stopped like going up in certain value, like what you could buy with it kind of froze, even though like expenses went up in the 70s and they've like risen ever since. Right. So 
much like you, I have I have to look these things up. Like, well, that seems like nothing. What was that back then? Like, you could buy a house for a thousand dollars in nineteen seventy or something. <laughs> I mean, hey, maybe it's just me, but I would probably take a job for two hundred bucks a day <laughs> as it is, much less. Well, than as a, <laughs> I mean, as a superhero, I would think like my skills would be more in demand. But you know, as a non-superhero like myself, sure, two hundred bucks a day. I'm like, yeah. Oh, and this is right, cash, sure. by the way, that they're talking. This isn't like. It's going to go through uh, payroll and taxes come out. Right. There's no FICA and uh, health savings account. And there's no forms to fill out, which is a good thing. So. Right. Like it was given an envelope full of, you know, however many days worth of 200 bucks. And yeah, 200 bucks in cash a day. I'll take that job. Sure. <laughs> so, Ed, yeah, Ed, Luke, Ed, Luke, he agrees to the job. And then we get a few pages of him searching for the four men that he's supposed to find in various parts of ghetto, I'm assuming. Like they kind of insinuate that it's. He's not in some good areas. Yeah, Luke Cage was like uh, Daredevil is always in um, Hell's Kitchen. Luke Cage is always in and around Harlem. And then you had like the Avengers and Fantastic Four and like downtown Manhattan. Like everyone kind of had their own little area they staked out. This would have been early 70s Harlem that Luke Cage is in. And he um, he finds them and a fight ensues. During the fight, it turns out that the men are robots which was hinted at at the cover. Um, <laughs> hinted at. <laughs> yeah. We're shown that. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it was, a, it was a very obvious hint. Luke, uh, during the fight, he takes a blow to the head, which takes him out of the fight a bit. So he's got superpowers, but I mean, I think he even says like, well, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. If you get hit on the head, you know, you're down, you're down at least temporarily. Yeah, you know, that that's something we don't really tend to think about because it never gets mentioned in comics, but... You know, yeah, you could have unbreakable skin, you can have unbreakable bones, you could have superhuman strength, but your brain is still going to move inside your skull if your head is rocked hard enough, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so he even calls that out here. Like, at first I thought, well, that's weird, like he got taken down so easy. But then once I thought about it, and like I said, even called it out, like, yeah, it makes sense, like, almost like getting winded or something, like he just needed to take a minute to kind of pull himself together and stop seeing stars, you know, <laughs> it's just like, right. I mean, he, we never yeah. think about like, say Iron Man, you know, in his armor, like, yeah, his armor might be fine taking a big pounding, but inside the armor, Tony starts to get knocked around, you know? Yeah, it's true. And he, like you said, he even calls this out I'm like, Oh, okay. I mean, in case the readers were wondering, he's, I mean, he doesn't address it like uh, to the camera or anything, you know, definitely takes him a minute to, he's got his marble scrambled a bit. He wakes up. He, well, he sees the men, the, robot men running away he decides rather than chase them down he's going to go back and try to talk to the uh the guy who gave him this job get a little bit more context here he finds the man at an embassy dressed in a military uniform and this what happens next happens again i think later on where sometimes it seems like luke cage there's not a lot of subtlety like he just comes in and like storms up to this guy right (laughs) which you know there's people like holding him back and guards and things so there's no like I'm here to see this guy and walking up to him and saying, hey, you know, you gave me this job. Let's talk. He just marches in. He's going to attack like he's going to attack this guy like in front of a crowd in that. So he's not thinking like, well, I better come at this slowly. Luke Cage, we'll see this again in the next issue, too. He's like once he knows what he's going to do, he just rushes in and, and wants to start taking control of the situation. Right. But it doesn't it's not to be. In this case, because uh, Doom appears and there's a great image of Doom roaring and saying that no one handle no one let's say 
No one manhandles a loyal subject of Dr. Doom. <laughs> Except Doom himself, of course. <laughs> of course. So now we know that this guy is one of Doom's, you know, cronies or whatever. And Cage says, uh, Dr. What? And then he says, nobody walks around with a tin can on his face and a jive name like that. <laughs> now, this would almost imply, like, Cage has never even heard of Dr. Doom. It seems like that's the case. And then he says, uh, because Doom just, he says that and Doom's like, well, I do. And uh, (laughs) I demand more respect from you. And then one of Doom's other men starts to speak up and Doom says, you know, silence, you incompetent worm. And then he basically orders everybody out. So he's like, he's upset that someone would manhandle one of his servants. But then he's instantly like, well, you're all terrible just everybody get out i need to talk to this guy doom says you don't believe in me well the feeling is mutual here and then so doom has heard of luke cage yeah apparently and he says like uh he calls him out a little bit and says you know what did you think you're gonna get these superhuman powers and just stay down in the minor leagues with these petty crimes and petty criminals basically implying like that luke cage doesn't really know yet the extent of his superhero status yeah like basically by Getting his superpowers and going public to the fairly limited extents that he has gone public with them, that put him on Doom's radar as someone to watch and someone to, for someone to, to Doom to know who they are, you know, like what their deal is. He's also kind of implying the cage here, like, you can try and stay in this limited capacity to what you're doing, but eventually it's just, it's not going to stay that way indefinitely. You, you've entered a whole new world. And Doom kind of laughs at him a little bit. And he says, uh, you know, I use robots. It's common for me. And uh, I'm amused that, you know, for you, this is such a big deal. And he says, you know, you chose to be a hero for hire. Surprised that you don't have a better concept of this. Again, it gets called out a lot like, oh, you're a hero for like it's like it's an official title. Like you'd say like, oh, I'm decided to be a carpenter or something. You know, I don't know that did the A-team or the Equalizer like. They were heroes for hire. They didn't necessarily use that title. Right. They were. Well, the A-team was always referred to by the military and the government, at least, as mercenaries. Everyone on the show who needed to hire them knew that they were essentially heroes for hire. I think we should be heroes for hire. <laughs> I don't know what we, I don't, who we would save or from what, but... <laughs> I don't know what skills we bring to the table, but that, that someone else wouldn't just already have. But We could like bring the skills like, what you need is someone who knows what they're doing. You need some real men. <laughs> we're, we're like a general practitioner doctor. When you go to the doctor and they're like, I don't know, but I'm going to send you to a specialist. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm still going to collect a $25 copay when you leave today. <laughs> So we're like a hero for hire, but we're like, uh, it's. I think I know what your problem is, but uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to refer you to someone who can really help. <laughs> but uh, if you'd like, you can leave the $25 copay for my hero for hire. That's just when you clear your throat and hold your hand out. <clears throat> <clears throat> Cash is okay. We also accept Venmo. <laughs> so Luke Cage wants to know why Dr. Doom hired him. Okay. And so Doom says, well, when my robots fled, turned on me and they fled to America, they disguised themselves as black men. Yeah, we didn't and... point that out when we uh, talked about Cage finding the robots and fighting them. Is they were all yeah. black. They weren't like multicultural or anything like that. And it's almost like Doom takes a pause here and he says, well, you know, he says like, there's no black people in Latveria. Right. And he himself is not welcome in the U.S., which is odd because he's always there. It, it, yeah, it doesn't imply like that he's <laughs> right. 
I mean, that would seem to imply that he's like banned from being there to find these guys himself. But yet, we every time we see him, he's at the embassy. There's something else he, he Hume says, said here that almost like I think he was trying to get sympathy points from Cage because he says, "Latveria is European, Mister Cage. I have no black subjects, and sad to say, no one ever emigrates to my land." <laughs> Like, gee, I wonder why no one emigrates to go live in Latveria. <laughs> there's no immigrate. There's no like immigration board or you know dreamers or anything heading into Latveria. It's, it's yeah. If you want to go to Latveria, Basically, you no can one live there. To like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> can I go live in Wakanda? <laughs> but I mean, there's always somebody who's got to buck the trend. So there's probably is some some poor sap every day going to the Latvian embassy, waiting outside, trying to find paperwork to immigrate there, getting turned down. He says, says this, which I'll say, I mean, if you read this, it's on there, but he says, uh, since he's not welcome in the U.S., he needed, quote, a black <laughs> for the job. See, this is what I meant by this story is going to be so awkward but I think it'll be funny for people to listen to because of the awkwardness and us trying to, like, deal with this. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it gets back to that thing, like, Doom's a lot of things. I don't know him to be racist. No, I've never known but him, said- like, even moving forward, I've never known him to be someone uh, where race was an issue with him. He's definitely more of, like, an intellectual snob. So if he thinks you're mm-hmm. dumb, like... He'll hate your guts, but yeah. uh, he's never been bothered by race, he, even uh, even yeah. gender. Like he's never really cared, like man or woman, even. Just like, don't be stupid, <laughs> right? And I mean, I think there's times when he's certainly like classist. Oh yeah, like, I think he would look down on like peasants or something. But I don't think it's ever a race issue. Sometimes I think it's he's he's made some comments about gender, like uh, in other issues or other TV shows where he said, like, uh, you're letting your emotions get in the way because you're a woman or something to that extent. But, <laughs> is that him or is uh, that I mean, Mr. Fantastic? <laughs> I was going to say certainly way less than, uh, than Reed Richards. So. Two wrongs don't make a right, but so that's not great. Um, but then he says, you know, are you still in? You still want this work? And Luke Cage goes with it. He's like, all right, I'm in. So then he says, Doom says, okay, here's the address where you can go find these guys who split. And he, he says, I never rely on just one plan. I've got an electronic spy tracing them, which he could have just, <laughs> this is a little bit of an odd thing. He's like, well, he could have just done it that way in the first place. You know, here, rather than have Luke Cage go track these guys down, he could have just had his electronic spy track them down and then told Luke Cage to go collect them. I'm not sure. Uh, he has his he has his reasons. We don't yeah, question. Doom was busy hosting this party at the embassy, though, so he probably just thought, ah, just hire that Luke Cage. He'll go find him and take care of it all, and then I'll just pay him and be done with it. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> right. So Luke Cage doesn't like it, but he goes with it. He finds the robots. We get multiple pages of Luke fighting fighting with them. He wins the fight once again. His shirt is ripped. This seems to be a common thing. He's he's often like with a ripped shirt or shirtless. I don't know if that's to get some sort of point across or something, but I think it's just to show like his because he's never bleeding or anything. So it's just to show like his toughness, like you know. His shirt could be all ripped and torn and stuff, but he's still, like, all in one piece, you know? 
So this is where this is the next part made me laugh. So he, he's upset. He goes back. He wins the fight, but he's upset. And he goes back to find Dr. Doom, uh, ostensibly to collect his money. And he goes back to the embassy and the embassy doorman tells him the Doom is split. And he says that uh, Dr. Doom pays no money when you can avoid it. <laughs> so what I was wondering was, was this a thing where Doom was like, listen, I got to leave. Here's 200 bucks. Will you give this? Some guy's probably going to come up here. Will you give him this? And this doorman's like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and, and then just pocketed that 200 bucks. That's what I would think, because this really bothered me, because this is totally not in character for Dr. Doom, because the doorman yeah. says that Dr. Doom pays no money when he can avoid it. He closed the embassy and departed for our homeland not five minutes ago. Okay, if he gives you his word about something, mm-hmm. he follows through on it to the letter. Because that's yes. his warped sense of honor. Granted, you have to pay attention to what Doom will promise you because he won't do anything extra. <laughs> right. You, you do have to read the right. Print. This just makes Doom like a typical supervillain. Like, oh, I, I promised I'd pay him money for doing this work for me. But uh, screw that guy. I'm out of here. And, you know, I'm not going to pay money if I can avoid it. Like, this is not Dr. Doom. Obviously, it's being set up for the next issue. But I just wish they would have done something else because this is way out of character for Doom. It it almost makes him seem, I mean, Doom is like the greatest villain of all time. This is like what a penny ante, like failed New Jersey real estate developer would do. Make a deal with somebody and and then be like, oh, uh, my wallet's out back or whatever. But I, I, that was my theory. Like this doorman just pocketed that money and was like, hmm, what are you going to do, pal? You know, Probably thinking like, well, who is this guy? You know, Dr. Doom is the greatest villain of all time. Some guy comes asking for 200 bucks. Who is he going to complain to? There's no better business bureau for this type of thing. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So the issue ends with Luke Cage. I don't know. There's this panel of him where he's like roid raging or something. He's like, now he's just tearing his own shirt and like screaming about getting even. (laughs) Right. He says he's going to somehow find Doom, get to him and nail him to the wall. Because he owes him that 200 bucks. <laughs> Which, again, to your point, like, back then, that was more money. Now, still, we would take this thing. It's nothing to steeze at. He's, like, vowing revenge over, like, $200. <laughs> vowing revenge on the greatest villain in the world. Seems questionable. Well, that, and just because, again, it's just so out of character for Dr. Doom that it just, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I didn't like that one bit. <laughs> Unusual story. Um... I mean, it's more a, it's a Luke Cage story more than a Doom story. Doom kind of factors in toward the end and then splits. It leads us right. I mean, it, it picks up pretty quickly with the next issue. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into uh, the, the conclusion? Yes, I think that uh, I would have been happier had they said something like Doom wasn't there at the embassy because he had to run back to that very to deal with Namor or like, I don't know, he's trying to blow up New York City and fighting the Fantastic Four across town. Like, something like that (laughs) would have been better. (laughs) At least would have kind of kept in character for Doom. It just bugged me. And this doorman, I mean, this doorman, I don't think we see again, but the implication then being that, like, Doom is just constantly going around stiffing people on tabs and checks. And I just don't see this at all. That, That was just a very weird side yeah, like if Dr. Doom goes to a fancy restaurant and has like a steak dinner, what does he do? Like, well, I got to go to the bathroom and like get up and like run out the, the back door. <laughs> I mean, come on. 
Uh, my wallet's out back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me go get my wallet's in the car. <laughs> does, he, does he do the thing where he like pretends to choke and then they have to call the ambulance and then uh, he gets out of pain? And he does all this like while in his armor, of course. <laughs> right. He eats like 75% of the dinner and then he's like, ah, I found a hair in it. Uh, there's no way I would make it. <laughs> he puts a dead bug in it like, you know, oh, look at this. You're serving me food <laughs> right, out, of his own, out of his own cape. <laughs> yeah. That aside, we uh, we go right to Luke Cage, Hero for Hire number nine, where angels fear to tread. And there's a great cover with uh, Luke Cage getting blasted by Doom's uh, rays. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a really cool uh, cover. The cover's terrific. Um, I don't know if the same art team did the same, like, did the cover on this, because I assume we keep with the same team for issue nine. Um, actually, it looks like the cover, yeah, it looks like it's by Billy Graham. So the inker of the issues, he drew this. That made me laugh every time I saw that name because I would first thought of like the televangelist Billy Graham. <laughs> I did too. When I was a kid, guy. I'd see his name in comics. <laughs> and then there was a guy on wrestling called Superstar. Oh, that's Graham, right. Which also a very, also a very different yes. Billy Graham. <laughs> he was the uh, pre Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he really was like the. I mean, I guess Gorgeous George before that, but he he was really the first guy who really got big who then later was copied by a lot of people. I mean, Hulk Hogan, most obviously, but I think Jesse Ventura, um, probably Scott Steiner. Oh, yeah. Like the first big, yeah, he was like the first big blonde muscle man villain guy, I think. And uh, a lot of his gimmick was like, uh, not, not just his strength, but like the fact that he was like a braggart and talked really fast. And there there is things you can watch with him where it's obvious, like so many people ripped him off later, <laughs> but... But we're getting ahead. But we're, you know, we're we, we're uh, getting back to the thing. <laughs> we go going. from the comic book artist Billy Graham to pro wrestler superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> Fan of the show, perhaps. Possibly. <laughs> maybe Billy Graham. Maybe one of those Billy Grahams will get in touch with us. Maybe it'll be the televangelist. Maybe it'll be the, the wrestler. Maybe it'll be uh, the Unfortunately, the comic creator Billy Graham died back in the 1990s. So it would not be him. I, I would worry if you heard that. <laughs> if you see him, take a quick lapse because things are about to get problem, problematic. Again, it starts with Luke Cage fighting the Fantastic Four. And much as he did with the embassy, and maybe this is just his way, he just shows up and there's no like, listen, I'm Luke Cage. Here's my story. I need your help. He just bursts in and he's like, I got to talk to Reed Richards. And of course, you know, this isn't something you just do to the Fantastic Four. They're, they're not, you know, being superheroes and things. And so they're fighting him back and stuff. And I don't think he, it's like he doesn't get why they're fighting him <laughs> right. back. Like he just runs into their headquarters. I don't know how he got to the upper floors. And then like he's just in the middle of throwing down with them. And it should be noted that the Fantastic Four have Medusa with them in place of the Invisible Woman because at the time she is out uh, basically on extended maternity leave because she had had uh, <laughs> her son Franklin. And so, remember, she was, like, uh, looking for a new home in that one issue and everything. Right. So she's, like... I was going to say, is she still, is she still really well, shopping? Well, I'm assuming they have some place to live because she's not here. But I know she spent a little while, like, kind of in and out, like, while I think they were trying to decide what to do with her. Like, can she possibly be a woman of the 70s and be a superhero and a mother? Can she have it all? 
<laughs> so, like, that's why Medusa's here, because she was taking her place for a while. And a matter of fact, we'll be seeing more of Medusa with the FF in some future readings of ours. Um, I think, is this the first time that she's been with them? It's the first oh, okay. time I know. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so, it's Medusa with the Human Torch thing and Mr. Fantastic. You know, we just start out, Cage is thrown down with them, and he's changing, uh, exchanging punches with the thing, and Human Torch is shooting at him. And so, finally, like, things calm down enough where they finally start to talk, which, you know, if he had just gone in and been like, hey, I'm Luke Cage, uh, I'm one of the good guys, I want to find Dr. Doom so I can take care of him, like, you figure the FF would be like, oh, hey, you you want to go punch out Doom? Like, be our guests. <laughs> what can we do to facilitate that for but you? No, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, he just like charges in and, you know, maybe he later on becomes a different kind of superhero, but they eventually get to this, the idea that he, he wants to talk to Reed and he, not only that, he wants a rocket to go uh, to Latveria. Uh, he can't fly there, apparently. The fastest way to get there, you know, he has his reasons. And Reed says, the Doctor Doom, our old enemy, like, oh, that it's almost like he's saying, oh, that guy, yeah, uh, I remember Doctor Doom now, yeah, from way back or something like. Uh. Um, but Reed also says that he's heard of Luke Cage, and he says, I, I heard about he heard about you in uh, Phil Fox's Broadway column, which is apparently a vote of confidence. Do you know anything about the Phil Fox Broadway column? I do not. I don't know if that was uh, something that was real back in the day that they were just referencing in here, or if that was someone from Cage's comic. I have no idea. I forgot to look it up. <laughs> Phil Fox. Phil Fox, if you're listening, uh, let us know. But Luke Cage isn't impressed by that at all. He says, Phil Fox, I want to start using that more often. Yeah. <laughs> you can climb a tree, pal. Medusa says uh, that she admires the man's spunk, and Reed agrees, and he lends Luke a plane, one of their planes to go to Latveria, which, I mean, I guess who would lie about this who wasn't a superhero, but it almost seems like, what if we just barged in and said, hey, I need to go fight Dr. Doom, lend me a plane. And he's like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like, I, I mean, he's heard of this Luke Cage, but this could be a guy impersonating Luke Cage. Reed sometimes is a little slow. I, I also think maybe there was a different context here where Reed was like, okay, there's a Dr. Doom problem. I don't have time for that this week. This guy wants to go deal with it. Let him do it. Here's a, here's, here's a plane. You figure That's kind of what I'm thinking, too, is, like, just figuring, hey, if this guy hates Doom, too, like, uh, have at it. Like, go take him out, you know, if you can. It just helps us out. It's this thing we see. It's this thing we see with different superheroes and groups sometimes. Uh, we saw this with Nick Fury a few issues ago, a few episodes ago, where he's like, I got better things to do. Look, there's a problem with Doctor Doom. Fantastic Four. We're gonna have you guys go to <laughs> better you than us. <laughs> so, right. So Luke, Luke uh, goes, and the plane is autopilot, which explains that you know he has no piloting skills, so it'll just right. take him right there. Um, it stopped at that Latvian border. So Luke Cage is once again fighting various flunkies of Doom. We get a shot of Doom's men laughing. And they look like Mouseketeers or something. They have these really odd, like, helmet hats that look like Mouseketeers. Yeah, like, uh, we still haven't gotten to the John Byrne era of the Fantastic Four because he really solidifies the way Doom's goons and robots look. The only consistency there is 
is they usually tend to wear different shades of like brown and, and beige, but they look different almost every time we see them. Luke, he's taken away by some other robots. They bring him to the faceless one who's leading another revolt against Doom. Remember, he was a couple issues back teamed up with the, the lackluster Rudolfo <laughs> in their attempt to overthrow. Yes, for those who don't remember, um, he was, he's got like a human body, but a big dome head, kind of like Mysterio from Spider-Man. That's like the only thing that makes him look unique or different. And was this another naming thing? Like, we need a name for this guy. And like, how about the faceless one? You know, we'll think of something else <laughs> later. He has no face. Like, that's God, a good placeholder name. <laughs> we we got to get to print. So just let's just go with that. The faceless one tells Luke Cage that he has no grudge against him for killing his robot followers. He tries to get some sympathy. He compares robots to slaves, and he he says to Luke Cage, basically like, "Well, you can relate to this, right?" <laughs> and Luke Cage brushes that off totally, and he's like, you know, you don't care about American history. You just, I don't know where you're going with that, but, you know, let's just cut that out. And the faceless one agrees, and he asks for help in assaulting Doom's castle that night. I really liked how Cage just brushed that off. Um, like, yeah, don't be giving me that nonsense. <laughs> right. He's like, I, I don't, we don't need to go there. I, you, you know, good and hell well that that's got nothing to do with this. Uh, which is odd that the faceless one even, I thought. Yeah, because like that. he's an alien, so he's not um, even human. So why would that be something he would yeah. even know or, or, well, I guess care about it. He was just trying to uh, sway him to his side or something. But he even admits himself he's over-dramatizing. Better, better to have him on his side than not on his side. But he, he, uh, he Luke, Luke Cage is going to go with it. He fights his way into the castle, finds Doom uh, sitting on his throne. I think this is the quote. When my men reported a crazy black man in the Fantastic Four craft, I knew it had to be you. <laughs> well, who else would it be <laughs> that would fit that description? <laughs> right. I mean, that made sense, but uh, I guess now that you say it that way, like, well, I guess who else was that going to be? It, it fits in with the rest of the story. It almost, it almost seems like, well, Doom was expecting him. But here's where here's where this this is another part that made me laugh. Luke Luke Cage says to him basically like I'm no. What he says is, "Where's my money, honey?" (laughs) (laughs) This is a panel that you find online so much. (laughs) Was now was this? I mean, this is obviously the era of like Shaft and Superfly and things. Was this before any of that or? This is uh, well, this is that. from nineteen. What I say, nineteen seventy-three, January and February. So I don't so think Shaft came out, but yeah. I know it was around that time. He's there for money, and Doom is shocked <laughs> by this. He's like, "You, you came the two hundred dollars for tracking the robots. You came all the way here for that." <laughs> and he's just puzzled and angry at this. He's like. You know, I thought this was some great attack by Reed Richards and, you know, he has a different person now helping him and this is another one of his plans and I have to deal with it sort of thing. I know. I love what Doom says uh, here because when uh, Cage says, where's my money, honey? Doom's like, he's got his eyes wide open. He's like, money? What money are you talking? You mean the money I owed you for tracking down my robots? You came all the way here for that, for a paltry $200? You are crazy. And then he, like, smashes a table, and he says, I thought you were working for Reed Richards. I thought that overrated fool had begun another idiotic attempt to bring me to what he calls justice. 
<laughs> and uh he says something like you try my patience and my renowned good nature right. or something to that effect and uh yeah dupe is just like he can't get it you know what this reminded me of was there's a a, a movie and there was a book that it's based on i think the book actually predates this comic because i think it came out in the 60s and um the book is called the hunter but they made a movie out of it called Payback. Oh, Elvis. yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, but, like, he's a criminal. He gets stiffed out of his money, a cut of a job where he was going to make, like, 70 grand or something. And he spends the rest of the movie trying to get his 70 grand. But everyone he runs into in this criminal organization is puzzled by this. They're like, you know, I'll give you your 500 grand. And he's like, it's not 500 grand. It's 70 grand. That's all I want. That's my piece of it. And they're like... <laughs> <laughs> my suits cost more than that, man. That's just, why. Why is this a thing? What, is, this, is it the principle of it or what? And it reminded me a lot of that. Doom is just like he, he's so puzzled by this, but then he's angry by it too. Like he, he's, he goes from like puzzlement to just being like incredibly angry. And they get into a great fist fight. Like the the fight between them, I thought was really well drawn and just hmm. terrific. Yeah, that's one of those movies I meant to watch, and uh, I just never got around to it. So I should definitely check that out. They get in this terrific fight, Luke. Cage is punching Dr. Doom in the chest and he's realizing that this is having an effect. And Doom is like he he's like, I forged this armor to withstand anything except repeated stress to one point. So I guess Luke Cage is the only guy who ever tried to just punch Doom in the same spot. Over I, I guess. I mean, from what Doom is saying here, uh, apparently like all the times he threw down with the thing, I guess the thing was punching him in different places. Maybe seeing like what other areas maybe I could hit a weak spot? Like, not just thinking I'll just keep hammering them in one spot, I guess. Well, it makes me wonder, because, I mean, part of being a superhero is you're going to get into fights. Most of them, you know, there's probably some exceptions, but most superheroes, you're going to get into a fist fight at one time or another. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're good fighters. Right. It just happens. So they're not necessarily trained to fight in, say, the way, like, a boxer is or an MMA guy or something. You'd think maybe if, like, say, The Thing or I can see why the Hulk wouldn't do it. But you can see if fighting is going to be part of your thing, you think you'd pick up on that eventually? Like, I should add a few actual fighting skills to my repertoire. Uh, You know, I would think a boxer, you know, if he had a weak spot, like you've spotted that you've got a good shot to the ribs and now the guy's kind of protecting his ribs. I'm going to keep punching him in the ribs. Until I knock, you know. Well, especially like Doom here, because the spot so, is dead center in his chest. <laughs> I mean, it's center mass. Right. So, I mean. <laughs> That's where people are exactly. most likely going to punch. Apparently. <laughs> so, apparently, pound for pound, Luke Cage is just like a better fighter. Like, he has better fighting skills than some of these guys, because he picks up on this and just hammers into Doom uh, over and over and... and uh, this has an effect like it stops doom the faceless one shows up again and he has the drop on them and doom's like well it's only because your employee here prepared the way which was the right thing to say because luke cage takes exception at this and he says i work for no one and he destroys the balcony where the faceless one is like destroying the plan uh, that guy's plan if that guy hadn't i'm trying to think how this would play out it's only because doom I don't know if he knew to say that or what, like if he picked up on Luke Cage's sort of pride, if he hadn't said that, would, would he have, uh, would the faceless one have just opened fire? And, um, and that is a possibility. Although I think Cage would have made sure Doom stayed alive until he got his $200. <laughs> right. Cause 
he goes, the faceless one splits, you know, after after he gets thwarted and Doom's like, well, get after him, you know, and Luke Cage says, no, he could have killed anybody. You know, he could have killed me, but he didn't. I'm not going after him. I just want my two hundred dollars. And then Doom like just laughs. Yeah, it's the first time we ever saw Doom just laughing. Yeah, not like like a belly laugh. Almost, he's just like, (laughs) (laughs) right, just like a genuine. He's like genuinely amused, and he says, um, he asked Luke Cage if he'd consider this a new assignment, you know, and uh, which I I think going after the faceless one, you know, would he do that for pay? And uh, Luke Cage says no, and he says, well, can I at least thank you, you know, for saving my life? And Luke Cage says, well, you you can thank (laughs) me, but don't. And then Doom says, well, fair enough, and basically, and uh, and he pays up. Like I don't know if Doom carries a wallet. Uh, but all of a sudden he's got no he's got his hand on a drawer at his side yeah so apparently he just keeps like stacks of american currency in a drawer (laughs) right we talked a few episodes back about what latverian currency was well we know they have gold Uh, farthings but apparently (laughs) right so apparently he knew enough not to not to try to pay luke cage in gold farthings but in cold hard american which is like the only real money If he's got gold farthings, they're probably in a little velvet bag with a rope around the end that he can just like open up. With like probably Robin a dollar sign on the back. Um, for for cash, you know, he's got it like in a in his in his drawer or whatever. Uh, it makes me wonder, like I said, if there's some other if there's some other thing where Doom is walking around New York with a wallet, and you know, wallets tend to pick up not just a credit cash, card, driver's license, card, <laughs> right. Doom's got some sort of, you know, blockbuster organ donor card, card. Or, uh, <laughs> uh, organ donor card, some sort of like coupon for three hot dogs or something. Like, uh, if I get this card punched one more time, Doom gets a free Whopper. <laughs> He's got, you know, one more time at Yancey Pizza Palace uh, and it'll get him the free deal. And maybe that's really why he's mad at the thing, because while he was fighting the thing, it <laughs> fell out of his pocket or something. <laughs> Knowing the thing, he would just use it in place of Doom. <laughs> Right. Doom has a coupon that expired in there or something. So he tells Luke Cage to go and he says uh, no harm will come to him. He tells him like of a secret way out. And then the robot invaders show up to to have a talk to Doom while you know Luke Cage is escaping. That's it, I think, for Doom. We, there's another reference to him here in a minute, but that's it for him in this issue. Luke Cage takes the plane back to the Fantastic Four and the thing wants details. Luke Cage isn't giving any out. And uh, this upsets the thing to no end because he's like, you can't just go and have this adventure and then not let us know what happened. He seems to be the only one really pushing this. Like I said before, I think Reed is like, oh, all right, let's let this guy deal with it. <laughs> he's got a problem with Doom. Let him run with it. The issue ends with Thing calling out a newspaper and then we see the headline and it says, Dr. Doom retains power in Latveria. Ruler single-handedly <laughs> crushes robot revolt. So... Looking back over it, and that's the end of the issue. So looking back over it, it's there were these robots who turned on Doom. They escaped to America. He has no knowledge of black culture, so he needs someone to go find them. He finds them. They come back. They try to attack Doom. He easily crushes them. So in a way, like some of this seems unnecessary, but, you know, who are we to question? (laughs) Well, Doom recognized his limitations in this, I guess. (laughs) Because he said it's a European country. There's no black people in that Viria. You know, he didn't have anyone he could talk to or ask. Like he he couldn't call any of his subjects like 
say, well, they wouldn't even be American anyway. So, I mean, doesn't mean just because they were black living in Liberia that they would know anything about American culture. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess he just figured, like, so, this would be the most expedient way, you know, hiring Cage to go find these robots. Right, right. But then one last thing on this, and it gets back to what we were saying earlier. When he shows up, Luke Cage shows up in Latveria, Doom is surprised that he's there for the money. He's like, you talking about that $200 I owe you? So it also implies that Doom did know right. that he stiffed him. Because my, I wanted, the, I wanted it to be something where like he gave the money to that guard, and that guard or whoever he was was like, uh, you know, "Good luck, buddy. Go climb a tree or whatever." It's, it seems like Doom really did stiff him, and then he was just surprised that he turned up asking for the money. And again, to your point, I mean, he was angry because he thought there was more to the plan or whatever. But it seems like Doom would have just been like, "Oh, right here, <laughs> you know, I don't have time for this. I got a robot revolt, and I got other things going on." Uh, yeah, whatever. Here's your cash. Like the whole yes, thing with Doom. It, it was very gone. out of place. This is the era where Doom's gonna go in, where all the new series that are starting will have to have a fight with Doctor Doom at some point early in their run to sort of legitimize that character. So this time we're up with Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Doom's going to have to, you know, go drop by and visit the Dazzler in her comic. Um, you know, he, he shows up everywhere, you know, the Micronauts, wherever, because it, it's like thought you're not legit until you face Dr. Doom. And so that really works to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, to make Doom less threatening. And that was, because, you know, Doom always ends up losing in the end. One of the things that John Byrne was tasked with when he took over the Fantastic Four was that he had to make Dr. Doom fearsome again. He was told that by the editor-in-chief. And I'll get into that more down the road when we get to that point. But, um, I mean, it was recognized by even the editorial staff that Doom had become, let's say, uh, less fearsome and more of an almost throwaway villain. And that's not what he was in, ever intended to be. So they had to rehabilitate his image. Eventually, we'll get to that point, but that's about uh, eight or nine years from where we are right now. <laughs> in in uh, in comic book parlance, like not uh, the year twenty. Oh, God, oh yeah, no, I mean in, in publishing time, terms. But, uh... Um, you know, eight or nine years down the road. But Doom <laughs> also doesn't even appear in any comics for about a year and a half of that time. He only appears fairly infrequently. And and I'll point that out when we get to that point. But I, I just noticed all this when I was tweaking our episode order a few nights ago. Mm-hmm. So it seems really obvious to me when Jim Shooter took over as editor-in-chief, I think it was... uh 1978, it seems like trying to fix Dr. Doom became something that was number one on his list to do because Doom stopped making appearances at that point, and then John Byrne took over the Fantastic Four. Doom only made appearances in the FF for a few years after that. You could see where, like, they were actively working to make Doom, like, a scary badass again. Definitely. And I think uh, we, we've taken some fun tur- turns here in some of these uh, last ones, but I, I'm looking forward to that because I think that's when Doom is, is at his best. Although I do like some of these, 
these fun uh, side roads we take uh, to see some of the comical, I almost call them comical <laughs> Doom Adventures in, in a way, because you have, you know, him, him haggling over 200 bucks. You have him uh, uh, with this bizarre Submariner plot we did last time where he had to deal with like a pimp or something. <laughs> Uh, we had that one where, uh, not too long ago where he was, you know, decided all of a sudden he was going to be like a, a man of wealth and taste and impress people with his piano playing <laughs> skills and stuff like th- there's some really bizarre turns for doom here after, you know, he, he starts with this, the greatest mega villain. They build him up, takes this couple of side roads in the seventies, Marvel had a real merry-go-round of editor in chiefs or the editors in chief. Yeah. Editors in chief. Mm-hmm. Um, they went through, I think, uh, one, two, I think four different, uh, EICs there in the span of about like three years, something like that. And one of them was only the boss for like a couple of months, even because after Stan Lee had retired in the early seventies, he got booted up to the publisher is what it was. He appointed Roy Thomas as the editor in chief to take his place. He only ended up doing it for, I think, a year or two, and then uh, Jerry Conway took over. He only did it for a couple of months, and then, boy, who was it, Marv Wolfman and someone else, they had a quick turnaround between them. Finally, Jim Shooter took over, and he ended up being the editor-in-chief for, like, the better part of the next decade, and that's when Marvel really started to, like, not just fix Doctor Doom, but other characters like Galactus as well, and and... Shooter got the trains to run on time because they were having issues of late titles and stuff like that. Some of these appearances for Dr. Doom were probably due to a lack of uh, editorial uh, overview. They were just like, oh, yeah, you want to use Dr. Doom? Sure, whatever. Mm. And so, like, no thought was given to, like, is this going to make Doom look weird or, like, it's going to make him, you know, he'll be used out of context, for lack of a better term. Is he going to stiff Luke Cage at $200? Right. Well, that makes no sense. Like, you got to come up with a better plot than that. <laughs> right. Right, There's yeah. No quali- just that no lack quality. of quality control that Jim Shooter did bring there once he took over. So we would be at the start of all that kind of weird uh, editor-in-chief merry-go-round right now in the early 70s. Yeah. I, I mean, just looking ahead at the episodes, we do have some cool <laughs> stuff coming. So I don't want people to, like, get the wrong idea like oh no i won't listen to the next like 10 episodes or whatever but uh yeah <laughs> there's also some kind of somewhat loony stuff here and there too <laughs> well before we give the uh, homework assignment for next week let me cover a bit of uh of business here so we've got uh our social media call outs and uh places where you can find the podcast if you're listening you know uh where to find us but if you have friends or family, other people you want to put on to this, Dr. Doom fans, you can find us on Anchor. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. If you have comments, questions, uh, <laughs> praise is always we'll welcome. Take, uh, <laughs> Dr. Doom, the Dr. D- Dr. Doomcast at Gmail, uh, Gmail, just Dr. Doomcast, no the. Uh, we're at Twitter at Dr. Doomcast. On Instagram, we are the Dr. Doomcast because someone already had oh, just plain old Dr. Doomcast. We try to put different things on our on Twitter. We try to uh, forward uh, tweet out things, uh, other Dr. Doom fans that we find and interesting things, uh, retweet those. On Instagram, we try to find uh, artwork, 
other fans, unusual things that people have come across. Um, one I'll call out this week, and I'm probably saying this wrong, Othell Flowers. Uh, it's O-T-H-E-L-L, and you can find him at O-T-H-E-L-L-1. That's the number one at Instagram. Has uh, some great artwork and some great Dr. Doom artwork specifically, but check that out. One last thing I wanted to mention, we had talked a few times uh, about our fantasy <laughs> casting for Doom films, uh, the way we would do it. And this one was raised, and I thought I wanted to get it out there just to get your opinion and thinking on it. So for Reed Richards, because you'd have to have him in a Doom film probably, uh, what about John Hamm, hmm. uh, star of Mad Men? Uh, <laughs> I always hear that a lot about him. Character. <laughs> He's he's roughly like he could pull off the gray at the temples. Uh, we know that he can do misogyny <laughs> pretty well from his time on Mad Men. He's uh, he's more of a comic guy, I think, than he gets credit for. Um, so I think he could kind of pull off sometimes when they try to make Reed sort of like a rascal type character. But uh, I think he could pull the the look off, and I think he could pull the character off. Um, uh, well, I've never watched. Yeah, Mad what are your Men. thoughts? <laughs> um, I I know exactly who John Hamm right. is, but I I can't think of anything I've seen him in off the top of my head. But I mean, just as far as looks, uh, he does have like kind of that, I guess, like chiseled facial features. So he could play, I think, a few different comic book characters. Yeah. Um, he just has that, that kind of generic comic book guy look about him. Yeah. Keep those suggestions coming in. Maybe one day we'll do a whole uh, rundown of those, but, uh, let's talk about what we're going to uh, look at next week. We'll be skipping to November and December of 1973. We will be reading the fantastic four issues, 143 and 144. Um, it introduces a new character. Uh, I don't want to say much more than that. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. After that, Doom will then get his own series again that he'll be headlining or co-headlining at least. So we'll, we'll be into that series. Plus, just as a teaser of some upcoming things, uh, in that series will be a crossover with the Avengers and the Champions. And also, Doom will appear in a storyline and Marvel team up alongside Spider-Man. And uh, also the Vision and Scarlet Witch from the Avengers um, and a cool time travel story. So there is cool stuff coming up for sure. Kazar. He will not be sharing any comics with Kazar. <laughs> He'll be co-headlining okay. well, well, a series with the Submariner. And uh, the two of them, I thought, always play off each other well. So. All right. Well, at least it's the Submariner. Because I was going to say, if we got to do another, if Doom has to share the spotlight <laughs> again with Kazar, <laughs> I've got to rethink this whole Well. We got to rethink this whole process because I wasn't pleased with that before. I know the Kazar fans <laughs> are just chomping at the bit. To There'll be a out. war, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know whose idea that was at Marvel back then. Uh, and I was hoping they didn't have the same idea a couple couple years later, where everyone's in the bullpen and they're like, "What are we going to do with Doom this time?" And someone's like, "I got it. Here's here's here it is, Kazar. He shares a book with Kazar." And someone's like, "Look." We did that a couple years ago. We're not doing it again. Like, no, hear me looks out. At him and says hear you're fired, <laughs> and with good cause. <laughs> you're fired. We need someone of of high caliber to co-title a book with Doom. Who have you got? And he just points at the new guy, like you know, Billy. Give me a name. And he's like, oh, <laughs> Kazar. Like you're fired. 
No, uh, looking ahead, because yeah. uh, we're currently recording episode 17, and I have us plotted out through episode 50, and I do not see any Kazar at all in our future, <laughs> at least until episode 50. And I feel fairly confident, even post-episode oh 50, uh, there will be very little Kazar. In the year 2525, when our robot <laughs> avatars are hosting the show, they can deal with that problem. But uh, in the meantime, I think that's a good place for us to leave it today. We're your, we're your benevolent hosts, as always, Craig and Bill. Uh, <laughs> yes, we'll see you next, next week. week. And uh, where's my money, honey? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening.